Excursus 6, Political Kuwaitism, The Modernization of Lying. Some excerpts from Chapter 6 of Adolf Hitler's Mein Kampf. When, however, people struggle for existence on this planet, and consequently the fateful question of being or non-being confronts them, all considerations of humanity or aesthetics collapse into nothing. For all these considerations do not float in the ether, but stem from human fantasy and are bound to the human. If, however, these viewpoints of humanity and beauty are suspended provisionally during the struggle, they cannot be employed as a yardstick for propaganda. The most horrible weapons were humane if they led to a speedier victory, and only those methods were beautiful that helped the nation secure the dignity of freedom. The masses are not now in the position to distinguish where the other's injustice ends and one's own begins. In such a case they became insecure and mistrustful. That at the decisive places it is of course not meant in this way does not occur in the consciousness of the masses. The people in the overwhelming majority are femininely inclined. In this there are not many differentiations but only a positive or a negative. Love or hate right or wrong, truth or life, however never half and half, or partially, etc. What Hitler presents here may be read as a program for an artful primitivization of consciousness, with a high degree of consciousness that has shown how experience can be extinguished in people. Experience furthers differentiations reflectiveness, doubt, and the awareness of ambivalences. In the interest of struggle, this is supposed to be voided. In the fateful year 1925, Hitler published in Mein Kampf the grammar of stupefaction. This may be understood as a great act of involuntary enlightenment. However, it was not understood, and Hitler knew from the start that it would not be understood. Quoting page 198, that this will not be comprehended by our smart alecks proves only their mental laziness or conceit. Hitler realised that the consciousness of the cynic possesses an entire dimension in addition to that of the normal intellectual, educated or conceited person. The fighting ego in the cynic looks over the shoulder of the ego of experience and thinking and sorts the experiences into what can be used and what cannot. It proceeds from the idea that things have to be simplified. Hitler's recipe is therefore, first simplify, then repeat endlessly. This will be effective. However, one can only simplify what one has already grasped as something ambiguous, multifaceted and multivalent. So that politicians can make an impression on the masses, they must learn to hide that more that they know, and outwardly identify themselves with their own simplifications. With the concept of play-acting, this procedure is not yet fully grasped. Thomas Mann hit the mark very clearly, not only by describing the vaudeville character of political seduction, but also, and especially, by emphasising the suggestive and hypnotic aspects of these phenomena. The suggestion, however, begins in the politicians themselves, and their own consciousness is the first addressee of suggestive persuasion. In the beginning, rhetoricians must, as they say, concentrate, that is, collect themselves through auto-suggestion, 
and make themselves one with the pretended simplicity and unambiguity of their theses. In the vernacular we say of such phenomena, they are beginning to believe their own lies. Hitler had command of this auto-suggestive ability to such an extraordinary extent that, being sure of his case, he could afford to reveal his recipe. He rightly assumed that the artful person is superior to the merely intelligent person. The intelligent person knows how to gain experience and to think it through in a differentiated way. The artful person knows how the differentiations can be thrown overboard again. The Weimar Republic may be understood as an age of a universal dawning of reflection, insofar as at that time such tactics and theories of artfulness, and of, quote, simplicity with duplicity, end quote, were developed on all levels. We have already discussed Dada and logical positivism. One would have to discuss further the depth psychologies of Freud, Jung and Adler, among others. Critique of ideology, sociology of knowledge and psychotechnology open up additional dimensions. All these phenomena have multiple meanings. They can serve to simplify the complex, or to restore the apparently simple to its real complexity. The consciousness of contemporaries becomes a battlefield on which the means of simplification and those of complication struggle. Both can be based on, quote-unquote, realism, albeit on different realisms, of course. In general, it holds that the simplifications are of a polemical nature and correspond to a realism of struggle. The complications are rather of a more integrative and conciliatory nature and evidence a therapeutic realism or a quote-unquote learning. They can, of course, also lead to confusion and excessive complexity. Among the therapeutic methods of suggestion during the Weimar period, the Kuwaitian technique is particularly worth mentioning. It was widely discussed at that time and represented a very simple and effective tool for positive auto-suggestion. It represents a transformation and watering down of hypnosis to an auto-suggestive procedure, and as such enjoyed in those years extraordinary public interest. One bibliography lists for the period of the Weimar Republic alone around 700 scientific or popular publications on the themes of Kuwaitism, hypnosis, auto-hypnosis and suggestion. This enormous interest is proof of a, I would like to say, realist countercurrent to the partly too contemplative, partly too volatile discussion of psychoanalysis in which one could retreat to a rather comfortable interpretation of symbols and could look past the real dynamic of the conscious and the unconscious. At one point, Hitler even has a go at playing anthropologist. Quoting Mein Kampf, page 494, The first step that visibly separated the human being from the animal was that to invention. Invention itself rests on the discovery of sly tricks and ruses, whose application facilitates the struggle against other beings for life. What Hitler wants to provide here is not, as with Wolfen, a criminal anthropology. The latter is concerned primarily with the phenomenon of deception. Hitler wants an anthropology of struggle, and for this reason he emphasizes the martial character of invention. This word is to be understood in its double meaning as technical invention and subjective dissimulation. 
the practical and the fantastic are thus the same from the beginning. Of course, Hitler eventually wants to make the point that the inventor is to be praised as the outstanding, aristocratic individual who is more adept at life. The quote-unquote Führer had a theory of an elite in mind. However, what we can literally read says, to be one of the elite means to belong to those who discover sly tricks and ruses in the struggle for existence. The aristocrat is the inventor of cunning. The circle towards Swindle is about to complete itself. But Hitler makes even more unambiguous connections between politics and auto-suggestion. Quoting page 456. Only the superior training of the German soldier in peacetime immunised the entire giant organism with that suggestive belief in one's own superiority to an extent that even our adversaries had not thought possible. Precisely our German people need that suggestive power that lies in self-confidence. This self-confidence, however, must be drilled into the young fellow countryman from early childhood. His entire education and training must be ordered so as to give him the conviction of being unconditionally superior to others. Hitler demands, in a uniquely transparent form of expression, what characterises the young and neoconservatives. Self-confidence without self-experience. Suggestion against perception. That results in the identities from the primitive, artful test tube. Five years previously, Ferdinand Avenarius had presented a documentation of the English quote-unquote horror propaganda during the First World War and had set himself the task of exposing tendentious falsifications of images and texts by the British. He wanted to contribute to peace, as he said, by uncovering the lies of war. But this would be possible only if we overcame the quote, suggestive war and its poisons, end quote and saw through the quote-unquote madness of the world. Avenarius tried to illuminate the suggestions technically. He gave numerous examples of the quote-unquote poisonous flowers of suggestion, from small swindles and misrepresentations to grave crimes of misinformation. He stated, I think realistically, quoting here, Die Macher im Weltwahn, page 24. It is probably good if we remind ourselves what suggestion is. The pursuit of psychological questions can become universal. It can become, quote-unquote, fashion when some kind of particular stimulation, a, quote-unquote, sensation, is associated with it. That is what happened with the dream analyses of Freud and his school. And it also happened this way earlier with the discoveries about hypnotic and post-hypnotic suggestion. For the life of peoples, however, it is incomparably more important what reigns everywhere in broad daylight. Suggestion during waking hours. We breathe it in. We breathe it out like air. And like air, we do not see it. That our consciousness does not notice it is what enables it to have its full effect. Wakeful suggestion has a powerful biological value for the individual for it relieves it of much of the world's tediousness and of thinking for oneself. Of course, it also turns the individual into a herd animal. But it does not notice that, for precisely in this lies one of the most important effects of suggestion, that it causes the suggestee to believe what he thinks 
comes from his own head and what he feels from his own heart. It causes the suggestee to believe that what he thinks comes from his own head and what he feels from his own heart. In contrast to Freudian psychoanalysis, Avenarius emphasized not problems of the conscious and the unconscious, but those of attentiveness and inattentiveness. Through suggestion, those pictures of reality become plausible for us that pander to our secret, not unconscious, see chapter 8, Sexual Cynicism, fantasies. I'll read that again without the parenthesis. Through suggestion, those pictures of reality become plausible for us that pander to our secret fantasies. Phenomena of suggestion touch on the domain of automatic consciousness, not the unconscious as such. In this, inattentiveness in perceiving the world combine with inattentiveness in perceiving oneself. Thus, through suggestive seduction, latent prejudices and inclinations are pseudo-spontaneously brought to light.